You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Start To start off with, uh, we're going to think about what does God expect from us as leaders? And this has been touched on in the last couple of weeks and it will be touched on in, in the coming weeks as well. So we're not going to spend a long time thinking about that. Then moving on to why do we need rebuilders? Why do we need builders within our midst? And then spending the majority of our time looking at the characteristics of Ezra and Nehemiah. How are they described? What things did they do to show themselves as good leaders? And then the most important part is how can we show those characteristics in our lives? How can we look at Ezra and Nehemiah as examples to us to be leaders within our ecclesia, within our families, to the people around us? So to start off with, what, what does God expect of us as leaders from, from a biblical point of view? And, and it's a pretty easy, uh, simple start, isn't it? Where we have the idea that Christ is the head of the ecclesia. So Ephesians 5 verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the ecclesia, and he is the saviour of the body. Christ is the head of our families. Christ is the head of our ecclesias. His leadership, his example that he showed in his life has left for us a perfect example, and that is who we ultimately look to as a leader in our lives. And just carrying on this point, if you could turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 20. And I know that there'll be someone in the future looking at, at Jesus specifically, so I won't spend long talking about this. But in Matthew chapter 20, we have a very stark comparison between what Jesus views as leadership in the world and as what he views as leadership as disciples of Christ. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be as your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus explains, doesn't he, the sort of leaders that the Gentiles had. Those who exercised dominion. Those who exercised authority over people. That is not our role. That is not what uh, we have been selected to do by Jesus. We have been baptised to exercise authority and dominion. And that's why we don't have this um, hierarchy within our ecclesias. We don't have someone who preaches every week um, from the Bible like, like other churches do. It's not for us to do that. It is for us to minister to each other. That is our role. And then just one more um, a couple of verses on the screen so Hebrews chapter 10 let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is 
but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And, and that sums up what our role is within the ecclesia, within our families. We are to provoke unto love and to good works. We are to exhort one another. We are not to be overbearing leaders um, to each other. It's up to us to be equal with each other, to minister to each other, and to be there. And, and like it says here, provoke unto good works, exhorting one another. And particularly that, that last phrase, as you see the day approaching, we can see the day approaching, can't we, brethren and sisters and young people? We need to be ready for that by exhorting one another. So before we go on to look at Ezra and Nehemiah, I'm just going to put some verses up on the screen that has the idea of us as builders or, or rebuilders. Um, and we're not going to go to all of these, um, but all of these, mainly the writings of, of, of Paul, talk about this idea of us being part of a building, of us building each, each other up. And we will go to the Ephesians reference, uh, please. Ephesians chapter 2, because we have a couple of key verses here. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 10. So verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so that's the idea of God building us, isn't it? That he has selected us, he has created us new through baptism in Christ Jesus to walk before God. So that, that's what God has done. And, and what does he expect us to do with that purpose he has given to us? Well, verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom... All the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of the God through the Spirit. And so the idea of us being built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone, we are part of that building. How incredible is that for us to think about, that we can be be in the same conversation, in, in the same building as those incredible people that we read of in, in the Bible. And, and this idea that it's an ongoing process. It's not a temple that's finished. It's a fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also builded together. It's not a finished product. It is up to us to try our best to try and get this temple ready for when Christ returns and when he hands the kingdom over to to God, that is our, that is what we've been um, called to do, and and that is why I think that you might have picked this particular two leaders to look at in Ezra and Nehemiah in the way that they rebuilt Jerusalem. That is the idea that we are also builders. We are building this temple for God. So now moving on to um, Ezra. So we're going to look at Ezra and then Nehemiah. Um, so we start to turn to Ezra for me, please. And, and when looking at this, I know there's, there could be many different ways you could look at this particular subject. Um, I've sort of taken it, looked at it in slightly different ways from the, the, both of these different men, these different leaders. 
starting with Ezra. And just an introduction to Ezra. So he's mentioned first in chapter 7, verse 1. If you, if you turn there with me, please. We will, we will start by considering Ezra chapter 7. So Ezra chapter 7, verse 1. And we have all the information going on beforehand about, about Darius and, and the, the work of the temple and the temple being hindered. And in chapter 7, we are introduced to Ezra. Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sarai, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, and, and it goes on to give us the family tree. And, and it shows us, doesn't it, that in verse 5, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Um, and that is Ezra's name there. Um, and the interesting thing is the root word. So the root word for Ezra has the idea of help or helper. And you can see the similarities between the two Hebrew words there. And the word, that word um, that is his root word um, comes plenty of times in, in, in the scripture. Um, but it does come twice in Psalms that I've highlighted up on the screen. So Psalm 22, verse 19. Oh, my strength, haste thee to help me. And Psalm 35, verse 2, take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. And I think that's interesting, those two different examples. Both Psalms of David, when he is surrounded by his enemies, and we know the, the way that he was surrounded in his life, and he is calling on God to help him. He's calling on God to be there for him. And, and that's the root word of, of Ezra's name there and, and as we go through Ezra and Nehemiah I think it's interesting how their names are linked to actions of God that God is able to help and, and we'll look at Nehemiah um, after we've looked at Ezra so it explains there doesn't it that he was a descendant of Aaron he was a, a Levite and he was a priest and a scribe so that that's the person that we've got introduced to us in Ezra chapter 7 instantly highlighted that he is a priest, that he is a scribe, that he was the great-great-great-grandson of Aaron. A couple more greats in there, but that's who his forefather was. And then we have the characteristics of Ezra given to us in chapter 7. And some people in the Bible are described um, very articulately, and, and a lot of detail goes into describing them specifically. And then other people will go through their whole life and they're not described for us by, by, by the Spirit. But here in Ezra, we are specifically given some of the things that Ezra is highlighted for. So, starting in verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God, upon him and then skipping over to verse 10 Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments and so those are the first couple of verses we have for Ezra describing the kind of person he was and so I'm just going to highlight most of these phrases so he is described as a ready scribe that the hand of God was upon him that he prepared his heart to seek the law, that not only did he prepare his heart, but he did actually seek and do the law, 
And then finally, he, he was ready and able to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And what I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes or so going is going through these phrases, thinking about where else they occur in Scripture, and again, bringing it to us. How can we start to put elements of this within our lives? Because this is what made Ezra a good leader to the people of Israel. This is what helped the people of Israel rebuild Jerusalem. These characteristics and, and that's what we're going to spend some time looking at now so first described as a ready scribe um, and there's the hebrew and the, and the strong concordance number there and that word ready is only used four times in scripture it's used in proverbs chapter 22 to describe being diligent it's used in isaiah 16 when it's describing uh, hasting, and then ready. And we read that in Ezra chapter 7, as we just did, and in Psalm 45. And so it's a word that doesn't come a lot, and it's used to describe Ezra here. In Proverbs, um, again, it's described as diligent. Isaiah 16, we won't turn there, but that's a description of um, the kingdom and, and Christ hasting righteousness in the time of the kingdom. But I don't want us to think about Psalm 45, because in Psalm 45 we get the word ready, and we also get the word scribe. Um, I'm going to put the, the verse up on the screen. So this is Psalm 45, uh, verse 1, with the, the introduction. So to the chief musician upon Shoshanim, for the sons of Korah, masculine, a song of loves, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I made touching the king, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And that's the same two Hebrew words as ready scribe that we read in Ezra 7, verse 6. And at the start of the psalm, we have there from after a song of loves, my heart is indicting a good matter. And other translations say that um, my heart is bubbling up. And we have this idea of the words within the psalmist having to come out that he can't stop them from coming out. He's got his pen ready and he's going to write them down as soon as he has this feeling that it needs to come out. And we have this love song in Psalm 45 and these lovely words uh, that are penned by this ready writer, a diligent writer, ready. As soon as these words come to mind that he's ready to write them down. And, and, and Ezra was the same, that his job was to look at the law, read the law, copy the law and, and write the law down and i think you looked at with um brother sam a couple of weeks ago deuteronomy 17 um and in deuteronomy 17 we have a couple of verses that explains what god expects from a king of israel and it involves reading copying and teaching the law and, and ezra does this in his life and he keeps it with him and there's just a couple of verses in chapter 7 that highlights this where we have, um, in verse 12, Artaxerxes is, has this um, a letter unto Ezra the priest. And in verse 14, For as much as thou art sent of the king and of his seven counsellors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of thy God, and it could just end there, but it's not, which is in thine hand. Verse 27, And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom thy God, that it's in thine hand. He had it with him. 
at all times. He was a ready writer. He was a ready scribe. He had the law of God with him, ready, um, ready to teach, ready to seek, ready to do the law as he is described. So the good hand of God uh, was also upon him. And we're not going to spend a long time looking at this, but those are the occurrences that it comes. Uh, so it comes a couple of times in, in chapter 7, chapter 8, and we also read it of Nehemiah in, in, in chapter 2 of Nehemiah as well. And it's interesting that the, the hand of God is described in different ways. Sometimes it's used to describe Ezra talking about himself, the hand of God upon me. Sometimes it's the, the narrator talking about Ezra, that the hand of God was upon him. And then also that the hand of God was upon us, Ezra and the nation of Israel as a whole. And, and if we could just turn to chapter 8 uh, over the page in verse 22. Uh, chapter 8, verse 22. I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. And so that's what Ezra understood, that the hand of, the hand of God being upon Ezra, it, it was dependent on the way that he lived his life. It was dependent on the fact that he was um, seeking God. And, and, and that goes nicely on to our next phrase, the, the next thing that was used to describe Ezra, that he prepared his heart to seek God. And, and that's such an important part of, of the way that he prepared his mind, of the way that he went into reading and to copying and, and to teaching the law, that he prepared his heart first. And this phrase, prepared his heart to seek, seek the Lord, it, it comes back in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. If you could turn there with me, please. Here we've got um, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 19. And this is just after he chose to go into the war with, with Ahab, uh, that wicked king. And because of that, judgments are coming upon him. In chapter 20, we, we know that the, um, uh, the the big army that comes against them, the, the uh, Moab and Ammon, coming against him, and, and he knows this judgment is coming. But Jehu, uh, the seer, comes to him first in chapter 19 and says in verse 2 to Jehoshaphat the king, Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to the king, Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly? And love them that hate the Lord. So that's what he did. He helped Ahab. He, he loved the ungodly. Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of thy land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. This is what God saw in Jehoshaphat, that he prepared his heart. And he could see that there was some good in him. Now, it's interesting that Jehoshaphat did prepare his heart to seek the Lord, but did the people. So let's turn over the page to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 33. And we'll do verse 32. And he walked, still talking about Jehoshaphat, and he walked in the way 
of Asa's father, departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, for yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. So it's interesting, isn't it, that Jehoshaphat did prepare his heart to seek God, but the people did not. And so there is an aspect of leadership that was failing in Jehoshaphat as, as king of Israel, that he was not able to get his preparing his heart to seek the Lord into the people. That was what one of his failings. Um, we know that he did right in the sight of the Lord, but the high places were not taken away. So there were parts of his kingship, parts of his leadership that were not um, completely up to the standards of God. But the people did not follow him in preparing their hearts to seek God. And we do read, uh, read of it again in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. I've just got this one on the screen. We have uh, Hezekiah, uh, where he's praying to God. So 2 Chronicles 30 verse 18. Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The, go the good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah, and heal the people. And that's similar to Ezra, isn't it? The fact that that if you prepare your heart to seek God, good will come of it. And that's what Ezra said, and this is what Hezekiah is saying in the same way. So moving on to the, the, the next element, and again, we're, we're going through these relatively quickly, because um, we've got Nehemiah to look at as well. So this one's just on the screen. Um, so we're going to look at another another leader, another king, who not only did seek God and do his law, but also commanded the people to do the same. And that's in contrast to Jehoshaphat, who wasn't able to get that across to the people in his leadership and his kingship. Um, so Asa, verse 2, did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, not what Jehoshaphat did, and break down the images and cut down the groves, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers, and to do the law and the commandment. That it's not the idea that you just seek the law, and once you've found it, that's it. That you have to do the law as well. And, and that's what Asa taught to the people, and that's what Ezra taught to the people as well. He had his law ready with him, by his side, to be able to teach the commandments of God. And we saw that in the reading that we had in Nehemiah chapter 8, that everyone stood when he opened the law. They were ready and, and, and willing and, and wanting to listen to what Ezra was going to say, that they had to not only know the law, but to do it as well. And then one last um, element of, of Ezra and the way that he's described is to, to teach statutes and judgments. Um, and we read that in Ezra. And there are seven occurrences of those three Hebrew words in, in Scripture. Um, and all the other six come in the same book of the Bible. Any ideas of what book that might be? I wasn't planning to ask this, but any shout-outs? Psalms? Nope. Good effort, though. Earlier than Psalms. Oh, yeah, good. Deuteronomy. So all of these other occurrences of teach, statutes, and judgments come in Deuteronomy. So we'll just turn back to Deuteronomy 4 just to look at some of these examples. Deuteronomy 
So Deuteronomy 4, we have Moses um, going through what had happened, and, he, and now he's giving this last message, isn't he, through Deuteronomy, before he passes over the reins to Joshua. So chapter 4, verse 1, And now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. This is what you need to do. You need to listen to these statutes and to these judgments which I am teaching you, just like Ezra did. Uh, verse 5, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments. Verse 13, He declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. Verse 14, let's try that one. Verse 14, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, that ye might do them in the land whither you go over to possess it. This, this is what you're going to do when you possess the land, as you possess the land, that you need to listen to these statutes and judgments that I am going to teach you. And I appreciate you looked at Moses last week. Yeah? Yeah, Moses and Joshua last week. Um, so we're not going to go into a lot of detail here, but this is Ezra carrying that on. And, and this was the foundation of the law. This is what the foundation of Israel, as they were going from Egypt into the Promised Land, it comes over and over again in these first couple of chapters of Deuteronomy that they had to listen to these statutes and judgments which were taught. These had been taught by Moses and these were now being taught by Ezra back in, in Ezra in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. So, a little summary as we, as we think about Ezra. So we had those elements, didn't we, of, of the way that he was described, that he was a ready scribe. He prepared his heart to seek the law. He not only sought it, but he did the law as well. And that he, he taught statutes and judgments, and that the hand of God was upon him. Um, and from looking at those examples and the way that Ezra is described, we can see that it's about the law. It's about the word. It's about, for him, it was about the Bible. Ezra's character was steeped in his knowledge of the law, and not only the knowledge of the law, because it's all good knowing the law, but if he can't transfer that to the people around him, what use is it? It's the same for us. If we know our Bibles well, if we think we can have exhortations, well, spread that. Talk to your brothers and sisters about that, about new things that you find in the readings, new things that you talk about. This is what the character of Ezra was, and it shined through in the things that he did in the last couple of chapters of Ezra and so we too should know our Bibles we should understand that to be a leader within our families within our ecclesias we need to know our leader Jesus and God our leaders Jesus and God um, and that we can only know them by reading the Bible by understanding ultimately we are just conduits for the teachings of the Bible that that is what we can do as disciples of Christ, is, is read the word, understand the exhortations, and, and then talk to our brethren and sisters about it. And that's exactly what Ezra did. And I was going to put up a couple of verses that sort of go over this. So Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honour of kings is to search out a matter. And so king is obviously a leader, isn't it? And, and even a king... It is an honour to search out the matters that are hidden within the word. And it's our honour to find those hidden treasures and then to talk to people about it. 
we don't talk to people about it, if we don't talk to our families and our brothers and sisters, co works, uh, co uh, work colleagues or friends, it, it's, it, we cannot spread the gospel hope. And then one more. Uh, so Hebrews 4, verse 12. And again, this harkens back to Ezra and, and his character and the way that the Bible shaped who he was, what he acted like, and how he was to his brethren and sisters, to the people around him. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so it's only the word of God that can do that to ourselves, and then we can use that to do it to our brethren and sisters as well. That is where Ezra took his teachings from, his way of life from, he prepared his heart to seek the law. He did all those things, taking it from the law, from what he had. And, you know, he didn't have as much of the Bible as we do. We have these incredible exhortations and, and life lessons that we can take from them. And it's up to us to, to soak that into ourselves and then also to, to help our brethren and sisters with that. And, and, and that's what our uh, leadership be, should be based on entirely when it comes to uh, our families and, and our ecclesias. So, on to Nehemiah. 15 minutes. Right. Okay. So, Nehemiah. So, he comes in Ezra and he comes in the, in the book of Nehemiah as well. His name in the concordance comes across as the consolation of Yah. And so, it's, a, it's made up of his, his name is made up of two words. So, the, the Yah and, and then the consolation, the, the Nahum at the, um, the start of his name. And, and consolation, it comes 106 times in the Bible, and, and it's mainly translated as repent or comfort. Um, so in Genesis 6, it repented God that he had made mankind. But I think, in terms of what we're thinking about, it, it makes sense when we think about the comfort. So Psalm 23, a, a psalm that we'll all know well, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's the same part, same first part of Nehemiah's name, that Nahum, um, the idea of comfort. And again, we have an element of God in the way that he helps us, the way that he comforts us through the meaning of, of, of Ezra and of Nehemiah. So we know from, from the book of Nehemiah that he was a cupbearer to the king. And we read in Nehemiah chapter 8 that he was a Tashatha, um, which I didn't know what it meant uh, when I started looking at this. So it's the idea that the governor of Persian Judah. So let's think about the characteristics of, of Nehemiah. Um, and, and with Nehemiah, we don't have, that I could find, the same descriptive verses like we have for Ezra. So we have to go through it a slightly different way of going through the book and thinking about what he does, where he is, who he's talking to, and picking out from there the kind of character he is. And by doing that, and by no means not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the characteristics I managed to pull out. So one was standing up against adversaries. His speeches, throughout the book we have speeches of Nehemiah. He is praying to God a lot in, in the book of Nehemiah. He's willing to get his hands dirty. That's not a 
verse or anything. That's just my my uh, example of, of how I might put it. And then also that the hand of God was upon him. So we'll, we'll go through these elements now. So first, with his speeches. Um, and he spends a lot of time as a governor, as you would as governor, talking to the people, reminding them of their duties of working and building and protecting Jerusalem. And it's not just to the, the lowest in society. As we go through Nehemiah, and we'll, we'll just go to chapter 4, please, of Nehemiah. We see who he, he, he speaks to when he does these speeches. So Nehemiah chapter 4, start, uh, and then in verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said, not to the people, but unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And, and we have this... Um, wonderful words by him to, to inspire the people. But it's not just the people, it's nobles and rulers. And it's the same in verse 19. I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people. And so he is willing to speak to all manner of people within the hierarchy of society. He is willing to speak to the people, to the nobles and to the rulers. And and. Again, it's similar for us, that we shouldn't be looking at a hierarchy of, of people within the world or within our ecclesia. We should be willing to, to, to speak to everyone and to, to do our best to inspire each of us to good works, as we read in, in Hebrews. And when we um, look in, in chapter 4, verse 14, the fact that he says, Be not ye afraid of them, remember the Lord, which is great and, and terrible. It seems to be coming back to Deuteronomy, which we've looked at already. So I've put the verses on the screen. So Deuteronomy 3, verse 22, where Moses is speaking to Joshua about his future. Um, and when we think about Moses as an orator, it's, it's, it's comforting to us, isn't it? Because we know that at the burning bush, he said, I'm not the person to do this. I'm not the person to go out and go to, to, go to Pharaoh and, and speak to him. But when it comes to Deuteronomy, we see just like Nehemiah, he is standing before all the people, ready to inspire them. Um, and so in Deuteronomy 3, verse 22, ye shall not fear them. So uh, as uh, Nehemiah says, be not ye afraid. For the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. Um, and in verse 14 of Nehemiah, he uh, fight for your brethren. And then Deuteronomy 7, verse 18 as well, thou shalt not be afraid. Be not ye afraid of them, but shall well remember what the Lord thy God did, and did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. So both these leaders, Moses um, and Nehemiah, telling the people to remember what God has done for you. Remember how God has affected your life. And, and again, that's something that we can do to each other as well. Remembering when God has played a part in our life and, and using that to, to help our brothers and sisters on, on the walk towards the kingdom. So these speeches, and, and as you go through them, the, the, the wonderful words that he is ready to say to the people, the nobles and the rulers, to inspire them. And we've got to be thinking about what we inspire each other to do. Um, so I calculated 10 individual prayers of Nehemiah. We're not going to go to them now, 
you could easily do a, a, a Bible class just on the prayers of Nehemiah because they are wonderful. Um, ten individual prayers. And I think the point I want to take from this is that he recognised true leadership and where to find it. And again, it goes back to the idea that, that, that Jesus is our head, that, that, that God created the heavens and the earth and we just look to God and to Jesus as examples of leadership. And that when it comes down to it, we can look to them as examples um, for leaders. And I, I hear a, a quote for leaders within, within the world that never be the smartest man, woman in the room. Okay? Always have people around you that are able to help you. Um, and that, that's what Nehemiah understood. That Yes, he was a leader. He had to do speeches before the people. Um, he had to stand up against his adversaries. But God would help him do that. The, the ultimate example um, of, of being able to talk to people and inspire them. He knew that looking to God, he'd be able to find examples of that. And so throughout the book of Nehemiah, he recognized that God was the true leader and, and, and pulled on him to be able to help him in, in this leadership. Um, so getting hands dirty. So we're not going to go to these again um, for time, but I'm just going to pick out certain phrases um, from these verses. So, and, and he clubs himself with the people. And if you're a governor of Judah, you might think, well, well you're not one of the people. No, you, don't, you don't need to, to build the wall. But he did. Built we the wall we labored. Um, he uses the word us in, in, in verse 21. Um, I continued in the work of this wall. I am doing a great work. He is with the people doing this. He wasn't someone who sat in his chair or someone was fanning him with a palm leaf saying, oh, do that wall, do that wall. That wasn't his style of leadership. He didn't shy away from work he he was willing to humble himself to get his hands physically dirty both we use that as a metaphor and physically he was there building the wall actually getting the work done and there's a clear lesson for us there isn't it that none of us are above the the menial tasks within our ecclesia within our families that we all need to get stuck in we think about when jesus washed his disciples feet and and they didn't understand why would he do this and then, and then peter says not my my uh, my, not my feet, but my, had, uh, my head also. And they struggled to get that into their heads about what, what this meant. But Nehemiah didn't. He was willing to humble himself and, and to be one of the workers, one of the protectors of Jerusalem. And then the idea of standing up to adversaries. And it, it took a lot of faith for Nehemiah to stand up to the challenges that came before him when he was trying to build the city and to protect the city. And he, he set watches to ensure that the city would be protected. So uh, chapter 4, verse 9, he set a watch against them day and night. Verse 13 of chapter 4, Therefore I set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. Um, and half of them held the spears and the, from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. So he prepared himself. He, he set watches for the people to prevent attacks from these adversaries out from outside of the city. And there's a simple lesson for us as leaders, isn't there? That both within our lives, within our family lives, and both within our ecclesial life, we need to be sure that we are prepared, that we have that shield of faith 
to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, that we are ready to give an answer. And we need to help each other. We need to help equip each other for times when we are challenged. We need to set watches in different elements of our life, ready for when we get that, that person trying to come over our wall in our minds to try and try and get into our minds and, and affect it. We need to be ready and prepared for that, just like Nehemiah was in, in this time. But it's interesting because it's not just from, with, um, from outside the walls that Nehemiah had to stand up to adversaries. So chapter 5, um, there's a great cry of the people. Um, and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. Verse 2, For there were that said, We are sons and our daughters are many, therefore we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. Some also that were that there, some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is of the flesh of our brethren, our children's their children. Lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And this is Nehemiah's reaction to that. I was very angry, and I heard their cry and these words. And so Nehemiah wasn't above this. He was ready to listen. And not only listen, to, but to empathise, and, and to empathise in crying, and being very angry about what was happening. Then, verse 7, I consulted with myself, and I rebuked, not the people, but the nobles, and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury, even uh, every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. And so it wasn't just from outside the walls that Nehemiah had to protect, and to stand up against adversaries, in Jerusalem, it was within the walls as well. And, and, and that's, in a way, so much harder, isn't it? It's easy for us, not easy, it's easier for us to build a wall against the world and do our best to prevent the world from sneaking into our lives. But when it comes at us from within the ecclesia, oh, that's trickier. You don't expect it as much. But we have to be ready. We have to be ready for those things that happen within the ecclesia that... that that seem to be worldly, that don't seem to match up with the commandments of Christ. And that's, again, when it's even harder to stand up to those, isn't it? It's even harder to stand up, as Nehemiah did, to these people, um, to his own people that helped him build the wall, that helped him protect the wall. Those were the ones that were with him. But here, they were his adversaries. They were adversaries to these people who didn't have the money to be able to, to redeem um, the lands and, and the vineyards. So there's a lesson for us, isn't it? That within and without, we need to be prepared to stand up to the adversaries in the world and the adversaries within our ecclesias. So how can we be a leader like Nehemiah? Um, again, I'll put the examples on the left. So he had the hand of God upon him. We didn't look, that, look at that for Nehemiah, but again, in chapter 2 it comes. He prays to God throughout the book. He was willing to get his hands dirty. His speeches inspired the people and he stood up against the adversaries within and without. And what we have here, from my point of view, is, is a man of action who is able to react to the situation that he is. Whether it's a comforting word to the people when the world 
was trying to get in, or whether it's showing um, the people that who's willing to humble themselves. And, and again, we bring it to ourselves. We have to be ready to comfort our brothers and sisters when the world is creeping in. We have to be ready to humble ourselves and, and do those menial tasks within the ecclesia, within our home lives, to show that it doesn't matter who it is that's doing it. It doesn't matter what the job is that we are willing to do it. And, and yet we know those jobs within the ecclesia that are not the quickest and not the easiest. Um, and it's about the idea of humbling ourselves to do those sorts of things. And, and, and when the adversaries close in, to, to come together. And, and we can do that by knowing and understanding our brethren and sisters, by collectively using a shield of faith and again, not just from those without the Ecclesia, but from those within as well. And, and be ready to step in and, and show from a biblical point of view that this is not the right thing to do. And be ready to, to give an answer as well. Um, and so we'll look at some verses. 1 Peter 3 verse 15. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness. And fear. That's what Nehemiah was willing to do to nobles, to rulers, to the people outside the city, to the people in, inside the city. Colossians 3 Whatever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And, and Nehemiah got his hands dirty, he got involved, and he worked hard. And we also should work hard, whether it's work, college, school, whatever it is, we should be willing to work hard within the world and within our um, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand and, and that's what nehemiah did he stood to give speeches he stood before these people trying to get into the walls he stood before the people within the walls who were trying to cause issues that was what um, nehemiah was able to do with the armor of god and so just one last slide apologies for going a bit long um so we thought about the, the meanings of their names. Of Ezra, the root of it was help. Nehemiah, it was consolation or comfort of Yarn. And both of those are ways that God, people, uh, the ways that David used to describe God and what he was capable of. And when I think of leadership, comfort isn't the first one that comes to my head. Um, help, sort of. But I'm sure if you asked many people, uh, a variety of people, that help and comfort wouldn't be in the, in the top five or, or top ten. But that is how we should be leaders. We should be helping and comforting each other. So Ezra, he read the law, he copied the law, and he used his knowledge to teach the people around him. He was a diligent and ready scribe, and, and that all came from the law. Nehemiah, he inspired people to perform godly acts. He was willing to get involved and do the work, and he confronted the adversaries outside and inside the city walls. He was an inspiring role model to the people around him. Um, and I put this slide up not to say that Ezra wasn't inspiring, and I don't say that Nehemiah didn't know the law, but I think the way that we've gone through it tonight, you have two sort of different styles of leadership, two different elements of leadership, um, that Ezra was steeped in the law and, and knew that, and he used that to inform the way that he taught the people and, and led the people. And Nehemiah knew the law as well and outwardly was an inspiring role model to the people around him. And I think what we have beautifully is two different styles of leadership that we should both be looking at in our lives. That the law, the Bible, should inform 
our acts and, and, and the way that we inspire people around us. Both of these we need to embrace if we want to be effectual spiritual leaders within our families and within our ecclesias. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.